tonight. Before we look at our scripture passages, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your law, which shows us who you are. We pray, Lord, that the law would reveal to us our need of a Savior. The law would show us that you've given us the Savior in Jesus Christ, your Son, our faithful Redeemer. And that this law also shows us how we are to live as people of thankfulness and gratitude for our salvation. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We have a couple of scripture passages tonight. Exodus chapter 20, of course, is a reading of the law. Uh, we're looking at Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 17. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 118. Um, but specifically, we're looking at the sixth commandment, which is verse 13 of that passage. So as we look through the law of God and in its summary and its fullness, uh, pay special attention to verse 13. So here's the law of God. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We're also going to be looking at Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 through 16, Pew Bible, page 6. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 through 16, Pew Bible, page 6. There we read, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. 
And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crop for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Moving forward to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Verse 21 and following. It can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1502. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is, an an- is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you offer... If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who has taken you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Here I am reading uh, the Bible, and I realize that I forgot to mention prayer for country, unrest and hatred, and also the issues of unemployment. So, sorry about that. I apologize for overlooking those. Um, We'll make sure to include them in, in our prayer closing the sermon. Have any of you ever heard the, um, the phrase, if looks could kill, boy, if looks could kill. Um, it's usually said just like that. There's nothing said after that. It, it's understood, whatever it is that you're... You're saying, if looks could kill, means that somebody has a look upon their face that uh, is not hiding their inner emotional feeling. And the statement is said in such a way that if looks could kill, I'd be dead. I'd be dead. Well, I, I decided this week to sort of look into the history behind this terminology, if looks could kill, it, it has an interesting history. It was said once in uh, the famous book, Dracula, uh, of course, obviously, about uh, the, the powers that vampires have. Uh, but it was found earlier in that, 
uh, in the 17th century, early 17th century, and, and uh, writings by Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, the history goes back even further than that to the Greek era, uh, when it was said about certain, uh, certain ethnic groups. And then, of course, we can trace that uh, understanding back to the Greek mythological creature story, Medusa. And of course, we know if you have any understanding of Greek mythology, that Medusa was the woman in the stories who had snake for hair, and if she looked upon you, and if you looked upon her, her gaze would turn you to stone. If looked, could kill. But tonight, we're talking about the sixth commandment, right? Uh, murder. And I open by talking about this term, if looks could kill, because our exposition of the Sixth Commandment has to go further than simply uh, an outward obedience to it. It has to go further than simply committing to not having um, killed someone, not having hurt someone, not having physically affected someone. Uh, And our catechism gets at this. It talks about the root of murder. It talks about the root of murder. With that being said, we're going to look at Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 40. It can be found in the back of your Green Psalter hymnals on page 53. Lord's Day 40 of the Heidelberg Catechism, continuing in our section on gratitude and our exposition of the Ten Commandments. Um, we will do this uh, in an answer-response way. So I'll ask the question, and then together we'll say the answer. How's that sound? Question 105 says, What is God's will for us in the Sixth Commandment? I am not to belittle, insult, hate, or kill my neighbor, not by my thoughts, my words, my look, or gesture." And certainly not by actual deeds. And I am not to be party to this in others. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge. I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. Prevention of murder is also why government is armed with a sword. And does this commandment refer only to killing? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. In God's sight, all such are murder. Is it enough, then, that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? No. By condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly to him to protect him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. You see how our phrase tonight, what I named the sermon, if looks could kill, gets to the very heart and the root of the sixth commandment. God's calling us to not only not murder with our hands, but with our hearts. 
He's calling us to not be Medusas. So, our theme tonight is going to emphasize that gratitude aspect. Christ was murdered to cover our sin of murder. Christ was murdered to cover our sin of murder and set us free to live in gratitude. You can see this um, theme statement's a bit long, but if you break it up into three points, obviously the cross is where all the breaking of the sixth commandment comes to fruition in the pouring out of God's wrath upon the perfect and sinless Son of God. And that's to cover our sin of murder. If you look at the commandments in the terms of not, um, I have to not do these, and more in light of the fact that I have done these, what am I to do now? They make a lot more sense. It's the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, I've kept all these from my youth. It's Jesus who said to him, only God is good. Um, And this is what we're emphasizing here in the third section of the catechism. Set us free to live in gratitude. So there's three points tonight that correlate with the three question and answers. And um, in the scripture passages we're looking at. And this is the first point, what God requires. And I want to take a moment and I want to look at the sixth commandment and understand its meaning, its implications. And the second is what we remove. If you remember in the catechism, right as we got into the gratitude section, we talked about the taking off of the old self, what we called mortification, right? And the putting on of the new self, the coming to to, to new life, and that's vivification. Um, And that's what uh, Lord's Day 40 does. The model there is the taking away of of sin and the putting on of, uh, of a new life. And so the last point then, of course, is what we replace. So much of our trying to manage our sinfulness in the flesh is simply this, right? What we remove, what we take away, what we stop doing. Um, but it is the truth that if we take anything away, that is not going to deal with the problem, the heart of the problem. What we have to do is change our hearts. We have to replace it with something. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So let's look at this first point, what God requires. What God requires. Um, the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. It's, uh, it's four words in the English translation. But in the Hebrew, it's one word, a compound word. It means no murder. For the longest time, um, the, there was an issue of translation when it came to understanding the Sixth Commandment. If you know your King James and uh, you're used to saying the commandments from your King James Bible, which even me at uh, 30 years young does this sometimes, 
you'll recognize, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. Um, and it is that translation that has caused confusion over um, what is the Christian's perspective supposed to be on things such as the death penalty um, and, and so forth. Are we always supposed to be pro-life, so to speak? And the truth of that matter is, yeah, we're pro-life, but we're also pro-justice. Um, Thou shalt not kill. Uh, translation is not the most beneficial. Uh, the, the implication behind the word used in the Hebrew is intentionality. Um, intentional killing. And that's the definition that we use for murder in uh, our current justice system. It is the taking of one's life with malice and forethought. And that's why we have actually differing degrees of murder. We have first degree murder, second degree murder, third degree murder, uh, and we even have things such as manslaughter. And we actually have the Bible to thank for those kinds of uh, legal procedures because there are case laws in the Old Testament that talk to us about if a man goes out and he uses an axe and he knows that the axe uh, is, uh, head is loose and it could come flying off and it comes off and it kills someone, then that man is responsible for that person's death because that man knew that this axe was dangerous. But if a man goes out and he's using an axe and he's not aware and he doesn't know that the axe head is loose and it comes flying off and it hurts someone or kills someone, then that man's not responsible. That's the difference between manslaughter and second degree, third degree murder. Um, we get that from the Bible. We get our justice system and its principles from the Bible. But murder is what is being told of us here. No murder, right? Thou shalt not murder. And uh, we see the importance of this commandment, um, you shall not murder, in... We use the Latin term here, the Imago Dei. Genesis 1 opens up and it tells us that we are created in the image of God. And we also hear right away that the first thing that happens after Genesis 3, the fall of mankind, is the sin of murder. The taking of Abel's life by Cain. And following the significant and quick plunge into chaos and, and uh, anarchy that Genesis 6 is, you start reading Genesis 6 these days and you start seeing uh, way too many parallels with what's going on in our world, in our country right now. It's a, it's a world where every thought of every man is only evil all the time and there is no order, there is no justice and we read right after the flood of Genesis 6, the commandment kept with God's covenant to Noah. This in Genesis chapter 9. For your life blood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man... By man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made man. The sixth commandment is 
not only a commandment that is applicable to God's redeemed people, but it is a commandment of common grace. It's one of the pillars of a society that has civility and order when there is a true understanding that murder is wrong. The taking of innocent life is not okay. You shall not murder. So what does God require of us in the sixth commandment? Question 105 asks this. What's God's will for us? But it takes it deeper. It takes it deeper than simply the physical taking of life. And this, I believe, here is what is so significant to our application as God's redeemed people, as the people of gratitude, gratitude for the salvation that we've received in Jesus Christ. It's not simply a civil use of the law that we are not to murder. We are to call murder wrong, bad. We are not to take the life of another. But it goes to the heart. I am not to belittle, insult, hate, or kill my neighbor. Not by my thoughts, my words, my look. Remember, if looks could kill. Or gesture. And certainly not by actual deeds. And I am not to be party to this in others. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge. All desire for revenge. Remember what God told Cain. Sin. It's creeping. It desires you. We are to put away all desire for revenge. And why it's important that we understand this in the image of God is because Genesis 4 is very revealing to us. Genesis 4 tells us that who Cain was actually angry with was not Abel, but God. Remember, God accepted Abel's offerings, but he did not accept Cain's. Why? And Hebrews 11 tells us, because Cain's offering was not offered in faith, by faith. Cain did not murder Abel because he didn't like the attention Abel was getting. Cain murdered Abel because he was after God. And Abel was made in the image of God. Murdering another person who's made in the image of God reveals that our hearts are enemies of God far from God, fallen into belittle, insult, hate, kill, thoughts, words, looks, gestures. We have a desire for revenge. And it's interesting, is it not, to look at our culture now? I like to call it the culture of outrage. There could be no civil discussion or debate about differing ideas. There can be no agree to disagree. 
that punishment must be meted out right now. It must be made now. Revenge must happen. Justice must happen now. We can't go through the courts to pull down a statue that we don't like. We've got to pull it down ourselves this moment. We can't go through the government structures that we have to, to express or, 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 or talk about the issues that we have with the injustices we see. We've got we to gotta vandalize federal buildings. We've got to burn buildings down. You don't think this applies to the Sixth Commandment? It does. And the reason why this is happening is because we've created a culture where there is not a God of vengeance, where there is not final justice. I have to murder. I have to take it into my own hands because I don't have a God who will take it into his hands. What God requires of us is to see that all murder starts here in the heart in the heart that is set against God and so some of us may look at the sixth commandment and say not guilty until we realize that belittling, insulting, hating by thoughts, words, looks, gestures, even deeds. I think it's been said that 80% of the communication between human beings is actually body language, which is why it's so easy to misunderstand things that are said on social media like Facebook and email. Because it starts here, it starts in my heart, comes out from my thoughts, goes out through my words, my looks, my gestures, and it turns into deeds. So the Ten Commandment, or the Sixth Commandment, come, the Sixth Commandment comes to us by God, and not only tells us that a, a civil and just society is one that condemns murder, in fact, Question 105, answer 105 says, prevention of murder is why government is armed with the sword. It's, uh, Lord's Day 40 is, is pro-death penalty for the right reasons, for the right crime. But it also tells us that as God's redeemed people, we are to begin to look to the heart, the root of murder, and expose it there and work it out ourselves there. So let's talk about that second point then, what we remove. What we remove. Question 106 says, does this commandment refer only to killing? Of course, this question is asked because, um, only to killing, because this is what many people think. They see the sixth commandment, and they see it as an expression of God's condemning physical murder. And Jesus comes in Matthew chapter 5, 
the Sermon on the Mount. And he reveals to us the spirit of the law, the fullness of the law. Every time we read in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard, right? The first thing that we need to understand is what Jesus is doing is condemning the popular interpretation of the law at his time. Take note, he did not said, he did not say you have read or it is said because that's the words you use when you're talking about what is written. The law of God. He said, you have heard. This is the popular interpretation of the law of God, the time of Jesus' ministry. This is the popular interpretation of commandment six, the time of Jesus' ministry. You've heard it said to people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother. Here's where Jesus takes it deeper. Murder to anger. I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Get anyone. Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, an Aramaic term of contempt, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. You see what Jesus is saying here, right? He's taking the popular interpretation of the law, which has minimized its significance, minimized its importance, minimized its seriousness. And he's increased it. He said, here in the courts of you Jews, you say if anyone murders somebody else, you'll be answerable to the court of the Sanhedrin. You'll be answerable to the law. You'll be answerable to the death penalty, Right? But he says, even if you say murderous words with your mouth, raka, you're answerable to the Sanhedrin. Can you imagine what would happen in a society, in a culture? This is hyperbole Jesus is using here. He's talking about hate speech. Anyone who says you fool will be in the danger, in danger of the fire of hell. He's taking the outward, the outward alignment with the law of God that these self-righteous Pharisees had. And he's bringing it down to the heart. And he's saying if you are someone who calls somebody raka or fool, if you are someone who has anger in your heart, you're just as guilty as mur- of murder as anyone Not only before the courts of your day, but as those courts are representatives of the great judgment room of God, you're answerable to him. And you're in danger of the fire of hell. This is how important Jesus says it is. He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go and be reconciled to your brother. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who has taken you to court. Don't have enemies. Do it while you're still with him on the way or may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you'll not get out until you've paid the last 
penny. What we remove, what we remove is the hatred in the heart. By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder. Envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. In God's sight, all such are murder. But Carrie, are you telling me that God is going to condemn me for thought crimes? Yes. God who knows the heart of every man knows that my heart is a murderous heart. And don't you understand, when we looked at the first section of the catechism, no, I actually have a heart that's inclined to hate my neighbor, and I increase my guilt every day. You see, if we want change to happen, if we want change to happen in our lives, the first place we have to look at is in our own hearts. If we want change to happen in our culture, the first place we have to look at is ourselves. If we want change to happen in our society, the first place we have to look at is ourselves. The first place we have to go if we want change in our church is ourselves. Not because I'm telling you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make things happen. I'm not Jordan Peterson up here telling you to, 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 to make your bed or to clean your room, although those principles are important. If you don't know who Jordan Peterson is, you can go look him up. What I'm telling you is the area where God works miracles typically is not by revivals where an entire country is changed overnight. It's by changing your heart. It's by pulling out the root of murder. Envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. You need to understand something. I, I, I don't mean to be commenting so much on what's going on in our society right now, but the, the law of God is so applicable to what's going on right now. And the sixth commandment, it's right there. It's right there, right? The civil rights movement had a declaration to face the injustices that were going on in our country. And they said, we're going to do it by not being like them. We're not going to let the root of murder make us murderers. We're going to be people of peace. We're going to be people of love and care. And that's what created change. Because when you turn on the news and you saw those African-American people and black people marching down the streets peacefully and people with fire hoses came out and sprayed them and hurt them and beat them down, guess who looked bad? 
not the protesters, not the ones who are peacefully seeking change in our nation because their hearts were not filled with envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. What is going on in our nation right now? It's not a civil rights movement. And I'm probably going to get shut off Facebook for saying this. It's a movement of destruction, of unrest, of rioting. It's a movement of hatred. You're not going to get change by taking that path. You're going to have level buildings. You're going to have blood in the streets. And I'm challenging all of us to be a people who are removing that root of murder, of anger, who are living as a model, as redeemed people of God, as those who know that there was a sacrifice that Christ was murdered so that we didn't have to murder each other. Christ was murdered to cover our sin of murder and set us free to live in gratitude. Look, I don't have to hate you because someone was hated in my place. So let's talk about what we are to replace. We're to remove that root of anger, right? What are we to replace? Christ came to take away the curse, the sin that was put on us. Christ came to get after that root of murder. And this is what people don't understand often, is we think of the exchange, the great exchange of salvation, as Christ dying for our sins and giving us forgiveness. That's true, right? But there's another side to this, isn't there? That Christ not only came to give us forgiveness of sins, but he came to give us his righteousness. And there's a a justifying sense of that righteousness, right? Where there's that righteousness has been credited to us in full. We have been credited the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God, right? But there's also a growing, sanctifying process of this righteousness growing in us. So just as that forgiveness is doing its work in removing that, uh, that guilt that we have, there's also a removing of the root of murder by the sanctifying process that's going on in our lives. Question 107 continues with this. Is it enough then that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? And the answer is no. By condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God tells us to do what? To do the opposite. To love. To love our neighbors as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly to him, to protect him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies, him or her, by the way. 
It's not enough to simply get out the root of murder. We also have to plant love. We have to let the Holy Spirit do its work in us and take out those sinful thoughts and desires of envy, vindictiveness, of wanting to get vengeance, of wanting to pay back what was done to us that was wrong. There's an element in us, every part of who we are as the image of God, that we want justice, right? We, we know what it feels like to be wronged. But then to replace that with grace and mercy and understanding that we know that Christ came and he died on the cross and he didn't deserve it so that I could be forgiven. And so when we are wronged, we can understand that we, we don't have to make that right because God has made that right. We can return hate with love. We can turn wrong with right. We can love our neighbors who hate us. We can show compassion to our enemies who want to kill us. Galatians chapter 5 is one of the, uh, the best places in Scripture where you can see this mortification, vivification thing happening back to back. It's there where we read of the fruits of the Spirit, right? But we also don't often read that whole passage and hear about the fruits of the flesh. You, my brothers, are called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Wow, if you needed a scripture passage for today. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And then he gives the acts of the flesh, the fruit of the flesh, we could say. The acts of the sinful nature of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. And listen to how many of these come from the root of murder. Hatred. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what we take away. That's what we get rid of, right? But what do we replace it with? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, crucified the root of murder. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. What we replace is the love of God poured out on us in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, we're told, forgive one another as God and Christ has forgiven you. If you want to know a way to get after the root of murder, 
remember one thing, and that is you deserve to die, and someone died in your place. Lord's Day 40 is not saying that anger is always wrong. There is a good anger. And Jesus modeled that anger. But Lord's Day 40 is saying that there is a bad anger. And that anger is attached to the root of murder, the sinfulness of our hearts that wants to take justice in our own, into our own hands. Sinfulness of our hearts that forgets that Christ was murdered in our place to cover our sins of murder. And he did this to set us free to live in gratitude. And in the way that we express gratitude in relation to the sixth commandment is not only committing that we will not physically harm another person or unnecessarily place ourselves in physical harm, but it's also... Realizing that the root of murder, the sin, the sinful nature, the flesh that's in our hearts, is one that needs to be replaced with the love of God poured out on us in Jesus Christ. Condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly to him, protect him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. This, question and answer 107, is a simple way of saying God has called us not only to not kill, but to be Christ-like. Who loved their neighbor perfectly as he walked this earth? Who was patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly? Who protected their neighbor from harm? even to go to a cross and to die on the cross. Protect them from ultimate harm, eternal death. And who on that cross said, God forgive them, they know not what they do. And we're all enemies of God. And God did the utmost good for us. And so we pray we pray that as we consider Christ, who was murdered to cover our sin of murder, that we would be set free to live in gratitude for what he's done for us. And we pray, as the Spirit does its work in us, that we would be transformed from the heart outward, and that we would wipe those looks that could kill right off our faces. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you would be with us as we 
strive to be people of gratitude and grace. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to know. To know how Christ kept the sixth commandment in our place and that he has set us free to live in light of the sixth commandment now. That we would be those people who get after the root of murder and who love our neighbor as ourselves. Who are able to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly to our neighbors and protect them from all harm as much as we can and do good even to our enemies. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us by your Holy Spirit, the grace to be people of gratitude. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.